people for healthy relationships. And this is part two of that. Last week we talked about, uh, we talked about building of ourselves and how, how God is honored as we, we grow and, and build ourselves. And this week, uh, as we talk about assembly required, we're talking about, we're talking about marriage and its issues. Uh, and this is, uh, when it comes to healthy marriages, there is a system that is important for you to, to follow in order to put yourself in a space to give yourself a chance of survival. Are you hearing what I'm saying? To give yourself a chance for survival. And, uh, and, so, and, and the fault of the story of marriage is that because we love each other, it'll work itself out. You got to do some building. There are some blocks, some assembly that is going to be required in order for there to be healthy marriages. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right. So as we're talking about relationships, if we're talking about building healthy relationships, at the pinnacle of that relationship, last week is yourself. And, that, and the next block of relationship is the marriage relationship. And we're going to build ourselves all the way out as we move into, uh, uh, into uh, uh, the end of the month. Are you following what I'm saying? So I want you to get Genesis chapter 2. And if you have Genesis chapter 2, tell me I got it. Shout, tell me you got it. If you need a second, say, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, let's talk about the very first union in Scripture between, uh, between human beings. It's found in verse 21. Let's start reading in verse 20, 22. Let's start in 22. Let's start in 21. Let's start in 21. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of a man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. I want you to find three people and I want you to tell them marriage and its issues. Marriage and its issues. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, wrong, wrong three people. Find three more people and tell them, tell them marriage has some issues. There's some issues, there's some issues with what God wants and what I'm trying to do with myself. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I do bless you and I thank you, God. And, and Father, among many things that we give you the glory for, we give you the glory for experience. We give you the glory for uh, being with you. We thank you, God, that you carry us through so many things in our lives. But none will be an, uh, as well-traveled of a, a journey as the individual who chooses to be married. And Father, and I pray that this is not just a story about how to get married. This is the story of your love for your church and your love for your people and the fact that the metaphor you chose is the metaphor of marriage. And God, and we find some kind of way the wisdom to know and the journey you have taken and the frustration you've had and the joys that you experience with us, your church, through your marriage to us. So, Father, I pray that you would send an anointing that makes preaching easy, an anointing that makes receiving easy. Father, extrapolate truths that go beyond the norm. Pull us into a space of wisdom and divine understanding that our lives may be made whole because of this thing, phenomena in the earth called marriage. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Smile at somebody. Tell them it's just church. It's just church. I'm spending these, and I hope we're okay with the fact that I'm spending so much time these latter months teaching uh, in spread of using the preaching ministry that, that we have. We spend, we're spending a lot of time teaching, uh, particularly as it relates to this series of messages on relationships. Uh, we are relational people. God created you relationally. If you have been created in the image of God, then you have been created to desire relations, to desire relationships, to be a part of relationships. 
Some will be platonic. Some will be romantic. But we have all been created to be in relationship with one another. There is nothing in your life that is going to disrupt your independence like marriage. Not a thing. Some people are like, well, children will disrupt your independence. Very different matter. There is nothing that will go inside of the core of your spirit, shake up who you thought you were, and then present you back to you and ask you, do you know you like marriage? That is what marriage is supposed to be about. That's what marriage is all about. And when God thought about the preeminent union of relational being that human beings could have on earth, he thought not in context of friendship. He thought not in context of boyfriend and girlfriend. He thought in context of matrimony. And matrimony to God means quite a bit, and it should be entered into seriously, and it should be understood with even more sincerity. Whether or not you want to be married, whether or not you are married, whether or not you are seeking to be married, to understand marriage is to understand God. And there is nothing that says, just so we can put this caveat out here, there is nothing that tells us or that says that every person is going to be married. Everybody doesn't even necessarily desire to get married. So there's nothing about the, the conversation that is a suggestion that everyone in this room should be married. However, I am still suggesting that if you are going to understand anything about God, about the church, about the way that he strives with humanity, it is imperative that you understand the metaphor called marriage. It is disruptive. It is going to pull the best out of you and it's going to tang on the worst in you. It will force you to look at yourself in ways you never imagined looking at yourself. It will challenge you to be something you have never had to be. And marriage is a litany of joys and litanies of travails and litanies of successes and litanies of deference and litanies of humility and litanies of assertion. It is a litany of all of these things wrapped up in this thing that we call marriage. And if you have never been committed to that level of disruption, you will never understand how God is trying to challenge his church to become a more perfected person. Because when he looks at the church, he don't look at a bunch of people. He looks at the church, how we become a perfected person. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to mess this up for you because I don't want you to think uh, that marriage is not beautiful. Marriage is actually probably the most beautiful thing you'll ever participate in when it's working. And marriage is, and marriage is, a, is a wonderful, wonderful aspect of human relationship. It is so much to the degree that, that God gave a, just a handful of guidelines as it relates to biblical marriage. Now, if we can get these out the way, we can jump into the word of God. But as it relates to biblical marriage, there are just a couple of things that God intended to take place. And, and we see here is that he intended for, uh, as it relates to biblical marriage, God intended for it to be connected between two human beings. Two human beings, so you don't get to marry your, your cat, and you don't get to marry, you know, uh, anything. And neither do you get to marry anything you're related to. Amen. So, so God, he, this was important to God. It was important to God because he wanted to extend the community of family. And in order to extend family, it had to come from two families that come together to create a new so when it comes to God, it, when God thinks about marriage, he, thinks, he thought about it as it relates to the union between human beings and the union between human beings that were not necessarily considered family. According to biblical mandate, it is understood that according to the Christian context of the word of God, that it was also between a male and a female for the purpose, in many reasons, of reproduction. And it is for the purpose of what the scripture would call the, the most proper use of the human body. So according to God, these are, these are the basic guidelines that God gave as it relates to a husband, a man and a woman that will come together and become a husband and a wife. He says, listen, I want it to be with another human being. I do not want it to be with someone you, you are related to. And I want it to be with someone of the opposite sex so that you, so that you can produce purpose in the earth. 
And this is the simple guideline that God gave us as it related to being, to being married. And I, and, and I would be remiss to say that God missed something because God didn't miss anything. It just seems like he doesn't talk about all the issues related to those simple things that he gave us. That there would be a lot of issues. Something seems so simple. It's so complicated that, that, that you would think that there was more in the conversation as it related to all of the issues that is connected to this wonderful thing that we call marriage. Now, marriage now, as, we, uh, as I get ready to uh, press in just a tad bit, I want you to understand something about marriage. Is that marriage is a greater context and conversation of God's love for the earth than it will ever be with you and your spouse. Is that when God refers to himself, Jesus says, I am the bridegroom. I'm the groom. And my church is my bride. So he is now saying that I am in a marital relationship with the church. He calls her a she and him a him. He refers to himself in the, in the uh, pronoun as a him. So he now is saying that I am in relationship with the church, and this is the highest relationship that I will have other than the relationship that I have with my father. Now, why last week when we talked about relationships did I start with you being acquainted with you because when Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father, he is literally speaking about his relationship with himself. He is saying that if I am Jesus and I am God and I am a part of the way that we present ourselves as a triune God, I am in wonderful relationship with me. So I and my Father are one. That's what your Bible says. He says that I and my Father are one. And when you speak of my Father, you are speaking of me. And the Spirit proceeds out of who we are. So the Spirit is not apart from us. He is us. And the Father is I and I and him. And in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, Jesus, so last week we talked about being solid with who you are. And then the next relationship that Jesus talks about is the marital relationship. Is the relationship between he and the church. Which means that the next priority of relationship in humanity is not just our relationship with ourselves. Last week's sermon, if you didn't get it, make sure you get it. But relationship with how we are going to create the substratum for humanity, how we're going to pass our oral traditions, how we're going to pass our morals and our standards, how we're going to pass all of these things that make society society. God said in order to do this, he looked over at Adam and said, you cannot do this by yourself. Now, Adam, Bible, let's go to the scripture. Adam is in the Bible now, and Adam is spending time with God. We know some of the actions that Adam spent with God before he met, before Eve was created. The Bible says that God looks at Adam and tells Adam that he's going to be fruitful, he's going to multiply. Then God gives him a dominion in which to do it. We call it the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Eden simply was the place where God places Adam so that he can do what God called him to do. So Adam would wake up, the Bible says, Adam would wake up every day and he would go into the garden and he would till the garden and work the garden because that's what God told him to do, work the garden. As he worked the garden, the garden produced fruit because the garden's responsibility was to produce fruit if Adam went and worked it. And when Adam worked it, it produced fruit. After the Bible says, after Adam would finish with the day of work, the Bible says that the Lord himself would come and visit Adam in the cool of the day. We most understand the cool of the day to be closer to the evening after the work is done. Adam would have dialogue with God and God would have dialogue with Adam and Adam would share his heart to God and God would share his heart back to Adam and all of the secrets of antiquity and the secrets of humanity and all of the clues of the universe, God would drop them in Adam's spirit when he was in relationship with God. Adam was in a space where he was one with himself and he was learning to become one with God. Watch this. Based off of the information that God gave him about himself. Can I help you with something, Bible scholars? Remember when Adam sinned? Adam ate from what? The tree called what? Of the knowledge of good and evil. And why did God tell him he didn't want him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Lest he find out about himself and he, di and, and he dies. This is important to God that this knowledge, somebody shout knowledge. 
This is going to be important when it comes to marriage. This knowledge that God placed in the metaphor of this tree was something that God told Adam, I don't want you to get this knowledge before you're ready. There are some things you're not supposed to know about yourself till you're ready. There are some things you're not supposed to know about this world till you're ready. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And this is a no judgment zone, but that's why we try to keep our teenagers from having children before they get too old. Because this is your season to learn about you. You're not ready. It's not that you can't. It's about readiness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So... So he challenges them now, and he tells them to stay away from this knowledge. I'll give you the knowledge you need. Just keep meeting me in the cool of the day, and I'll give it to you as I see you're mature enough to handle it. Are you hearing me? So God would would feed him this knowledge in the cool of the day. And in the cool of the day, he was full of understanding who he was. He was delighted in the presence of God. And God looked at Adam and watch this. He said, it's not good for you to be alone. Now, this is your first note about getting married is that he got, he didn't get married because he was lonely. He just got married because he was alone. And there is a difference between being alone and being lonely. It is an affront to God to say that Adam would meet with God every day and God would give Adam all the secrets of this world and he would stand in the presence of God for us to come behind being in God's presence every day and think that Adam is not getting everything he needs in the presence of God. That's an insult to God. Adam got Everything he needed in the presence of God, yet God himself said it's not good for you to be alone. Why? Not because you're lonely, but because I gave you an assignment to be fruitful and to multiply. You can go in this garden and be fruitful by by working the ground and pulling forth fruit, but you cannot multiply. So now I have to create something to help you finish purpose. So we don't get married because we're lonely. We get married because we got to finish purpose. I'm, I'm teaching. I'm preaching now. You get married because there's an assignment that God gave you. And, and what I need, watch this, is not somebody to complete me. What I need is for somebody to help me complete the assignment. Am I, are you hearing what I'm saying? Somebody shall complete the assignment. You know, you got to come to marriage ready. You don't come to marriage to get ready. You got to come to marriage ready. Because the person that you're married to, if they're ready, they're ready to do some stuff in the earth. They're not ready to build you. They came to build some stuff in the earth, not to build you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God spent time with Adam in the garden to make sure that Adam got ready for what God was going to do for him. Then God puts him into a deep sleep and he pulls out a rib from Adam. And the Bible says that he fashions and he forms a woman from the rib of Adam. And he stands her up and he breathes life into this thing. And Adam wakes up from his sleep and he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I'll call her woman because she came from man. I'll call her woman, man, because she came from man, womb, man, because she has a womb. She's a womb man. She is a man just like me, aptitude, capabilities, abilities to touch God and do things in the earth. But she has a womb. She is not lesser. She's just different. And this is the context by which God says, he says, and I'll put you two together. And from here on out, every man should leave his mother and father's house and cleave to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. He says, every man should leave his mama house. I think that's powerful. Y'all are not hearing what I'm saying. I think that's powerful. He said, every man shouldn't have to call home to make a decision. He said, every man shouldn't have to be seeing if it were my mama wouldn't have did it that way. Every man should leave his mother in his father's house. I'm not saying take away the wisdom, but I'm saying you got to get away from being mama's boy when you're a husband. You hear what I'm saying? I want you to understand the power and the nature of that because the type of woman that you're going to marry is going to be the type of woman that can have the same kind of impact over your life as your mother. And if there are two impactful people in the same place, one of those people are unnecessary. 
And oftentimes, if you, if you refuse to leave mamas and cleave to your spouse, then what happens is spouse gets the shorter end of that stick, and she leaves and says, you can go back home and cleave if that's the way you want to do your life. Amen. He says you should leave you know, and you should cleave to your wife. Now, that word cleave has to do with melting or permanency or coming together and being permanent with. He is saying that the two should leave and they should cleave or, or find a way to start melting together. He says you should find a way to start melting together. And I, and I know that I can get help from over here, but, but I'm going to stay in here because together we can figure some stuff out. Now, this becomes the challenge is that what marriage does and what marriage is, is the commitment of matrimony that I'm going to stay in this space with this person to figure it out even if there are answers outside of us. I have committed myself to finding answers within us because if we do marriage right, there is nothing within us that we cannot answer. And what happens with this idea of marriage is we link it to love and we link it to like and we link it to romance and we link it to goosebumps and we link it to heart patterns and we link it to all of those things. And the unfortunate thing that history and antiquity has done with the idea of romance and love is that they have interchangeably made us believe that romance and love are the same thing. And in even worse, when you make romance and love the same thing, we have a tendency to make marriage and love the same thing. But if I can for a second take you to the Bible, I want you to see that marriage is its own thing. Love is its own thing and romance is its own thing. I can romance you and not love you. I mean, how many of y'all have fell for that one? All right. I can romance you and not love you. Watch this. I can love you and not marry you. And I can marry you and not love you. I can marry you and love you, but not romance you. Jesus, that, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting it amen for. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want you to understand how the dynamic. So what has happened in history now, and I'm going to get to the word of God, but I got to give you a history lesson before we get to the word of God and scream and shout and all that good stuff. But what happens now is that history, we are social beings and we gather our information by societal spaces. And what society has done is society has taken from an antiquity space of romance, love, and marriage, and they have inserted it with this thing called love. And I want you to write this down real quick. Write this down. Here's number one for you. The issue, issue number one that you've got to deal with in a marriage is the issue of character. Say that after me. Say character. The issue of character, that is the number one, that is a number one issue that has to be dealt with when you're talking and you're dealing with love. Because when it comes to love, we have created this idea surrounded by love that love is marriage, and it's not. You can love something and not have the skills to stay married to it. And you can be good at being married, but not good at loving. And you've got a problem because love and marriage are separate things. They are not one and the same. So when we come through the Victorian era, the Victorian era, if we study our, our, our writers, our writers start to picture love with the emotion that is connected to love. So they don't, they don't speak about commitment and fidelity and sticking in when things get tough. It talks about the heart pattern and the flesh getting goosebumps and the mind wondering. And it sends you into this euphoric place where the endorphins of your mind make you feel good. And, we, and when we think about love, there is an expectation that love will always feel good. There is an expectation that when I get married, married is going to be my place of Eden, my place of euphoria. And then we get married and realize that there are not as many moments of euphoria as we thought there would be. And because it crashes us so hard, we minimize the moments of euphoria that we do have as if we never have them. And it's not because we got a bad perspective of marriage. It's because we got a bad perspective of love. Love is an emotion. 
Let's not get that, let's not separate that from anything else. Love is an emotion. And emotions are things that we choose to operate in, which means that love is a choice. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You make a conscious decision to love somebody until you, and once you decide that you love something, you give yourself over to it until it owns you to some degree. And we'll talk about that in a second. So that's why we feel like I can't unlove something. Because now the thing that I have chosen to love has got its grip on me and, I, and it won't let me go any more than I can let it go. But watch what I'm about to tell you about marriage is that you've got to be careful marrying solely for the sake of love. Now you should love what you marry, but you got to be careful about marrying just because you want to feel your heart patter and just because you think you're going to have goosebumps and just because you think every time you wake up, life is going to be like the last five months of you dating. It is not going to be that. And when you're watching, when you're watching for marriage, what God is not interested in is not how you love, but how much character you have. Because it is possible to love and not have good character, but it is impossible to have good character and not be sustainable when you decide to love. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? It is, it is important. We, have, we, we lie to you and make you think that something cannot love you and hurt you at the same time. As a matter of fact, the things that we hurt the most are the things that we love the most. The people we break the most are the people we love the most. And you, and you, and you, 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 you have to see how life operates. Life operates by this idea that when I build a connection and I build a love with my connection, I will inevitably let down what I love, because if, particularly if I don't have the character to sustain what I say I love. So it is possible. It is possible. And it should not be. But it is possible for you to cheat on somebody and still love them. It is possible for you to hit somebody and still love them. It is possible for you to, be, to talk down to somebody and still love them. It is possible to assault somebody and still love them. Because the, it is not a love issue, it's a character issue. And are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, nobody's going to love me and hit me at the same time. Yes, they will. They will love you and hit you all at the same time. And then be, be genuinely not understanding why you want to leave. I want to leave not because you don't love me, but because you don't have the character to know how to love me. I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. I wish I was trying to help somebody. Now, if you make your decisions on who's going to be in your life based off of how, you, how they love or if they love you, then you will disregard the value that you are. I am so valuable that not only are you supposed to love me, you've got to have and walk in good character around me. I value myself enough that you're going to love me and come home to me at night. I value myself enough that you're going to love me and keep your hands off me. I value that you're going to love me and find a way to tell me that you're displeased with me without insulting me. Because that is the power of love at its core, is that love is more than just an emotion. And the question is not, do you love me, but do you have the character to keep me? Somebody shout character. Somebody shout character. Character says I'll come home and work it out. Your character says that I'll keep my hands to myself. Your character says that I'll talk it out instead of cuss it out. My character says that I won't talk about you like a dog to my family and then hope that some kind of way they respect you after I didn't ran you in the ground. Character. Somebody shout character. Character. The church is, is, is not riddled with people that don't love each other. It's riddled with people that don't have the character to show how much they love one another. And I told you about the, the fruits of the Spirit two weeks ago. The fruits of the Spirit are not spiritual gifts like we have taught you they are. The fruits of the Spirit are spiritual character traits. And what God, and when you get married and decide that you're going to be in love, you're going to have to invite the Spirit of God into your life, not so I can love better, so that I can have the character for me to keep my, commi my commitment in matrimony. Somebody shout character. Somebody shout character. Somebody shout character. It don't matter if you love me if you ain't going to work to help make something happen in this house. 
I don't care how much you love me. You can love me, but if you're not going to get out and get a job, then don't marry me. I, you can love me, but if you're going to talk to me crazy, don't, 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 don't waste my time because I don't want to give my heart over to something that doesn't know how to manage who I am. Somebody shout character. Somebody shout character. The second thing I want you to understand, that's an issue. Character is an issue. The second thing about marriage that is an issue as we're talking about building healthy relationships is marriage as an ownership issue. Somebody shout ownership. ownership. I, I, that is a word that is very, I, I use that very lightly. I use that very tediously and I use it in a way not to offend when I say that when you are married, you own someone. It, when, you, when you decide that you're going to love someone and when you make this commitment in matrimony, you give yourself over to a person and you make yourself subject to their voice, to their opinion, to their objections, to their desires. And in that sense, when you have chosen to give yourself to someone, you have involuntarily made yourself a servant to their ideals, to their passions, to their thoughts. And in that sense, they become an owner of your life. I... I I own my wife. My wife owns me. Your spouse owns the part of you that you have given them to take control over. When you marry someone, what you are doing is you're really saying that I trust you with the parts that I'm about to give you. You're saying that I believe that you've got the character to manage everything I'm, I'm about to give you. So, so get ready because I'm about to unlock some stuff. And you're about to find out how heavy I really am to carry. But you, are you hearing what I'm saying? When you choose to marry, this is your estimation of the character of the person that you have chosen to give the rest of your life to. But I don't want you to take it real lightly that you just, you know, to have a bed buddy. And you're going to have something to lay some heavy stuff on them. And you are about to give yourself over to them in the sense to the degree that they feel like I own or this belongs to me. Does another human being belong to Another human being? Of course not. But let's look at it the way God looks at it. What takes place when a man walks his daughter down the aisle. They ask him the question, who giveth this woman away? What do you mean, give me away? What do you mean, give me away? You can't give me. You give stuff you own away. Uh, oh. A father stands over his daughter and he says, you know, that I am the one that has the rights, the responsibilities. I'm the one that makes sure that she smiles when she leaves the house and smiles when she comes back home. I set the standard for how she's going to do her life. I set the standard like my, my daughter is used to, or my, this is what a father says to their daughter. My daughter is used to me talking out my problems and not punching them out of her. My daughter is used, she ain't used to roaches and she's not used to, she's used to a roof. She's not used to moving every other summer. She's I set the standard. And this is what a father is saying to a husband while he's waiting. And the man of God or woman of God says, who's going to give her away? And this is why the, father, the child always comes and asks for the father's favor to marry his daughter because the father wants an opportunity to make sure you got the character to take care of what I've been taking care of for the last X amount of years. Who giveth this woman away? She belongs to me. And if I'm going to put her in your hands, you better be able to do with her what I'm doing with her and beyond or else walk away now y'all are not talking back to me I can't, I, can't, I, I can't, where's my cousin, where's Lou? I tell my sister gets married and he's standing behind the door and the guy's like, and we, after, after the wedding, it's like, what in the world took y'all so long? My sister said, because daddy was like, are you sure? Are you positive? We can turn around and walk out of here right now. This is you and me. We put you in the car and go. Because if for any reason you cannot keep the standard that I've kept over what God has made me responsible to, I wish I was talking to somebody in here. Walk away. It's okay, I know you want to be the man, but walk away because it's going to hurt worse later when the two that became one have to become one that becomes two again. When you can say it on this side of it, I'm not ready. 
I wish I was preaching. I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. He, he finds himself in a situation where there, now there's a sense of ownership that is, and the man says, yes, I'll take her to be my bride. Hey, will you take her to be your lawfully wedded wife to have and to hold? Will you take him to be your lawfully wedded husband to have? And to hold, you have been transferred and ownership in the spirit has taken place. And when you get married, you accept the ownership of this person's vitality and their life and their well-being and their destiny. You, in a great sense, are saying that I, my son, I, my, my God, I am taking over ownership of another human being's life that could make different decisions than I want them to make. That will do things that I don't always want them to do. How am I going to move into this marriage when I got a person that has the ability and capability to be their own person. <laughs> That's why the two have to become one. And as the two becomes one, there's a whole lot less of this when there's more of this. And that's the way God intended for marriage to operate. Are you hearing what, hearing what I'm teaching to you? This, this becomes critical. Now, ownership is the interesting part. Because you, you have acted, if any of you have been married, if you married, you know, if you've been married and not married, if you have been intimate and not married, I mean, I mean you, you'll get the, you'll know what I'm talking about if you've been intimate and not married. Okay, uh, you know, it, you're still going to know what I'm talking about because, because what happens now, I'm talking to grown folks. Okay, because, because what happens now, what has happened now when we get into the space of the marriage, what has happened now is that, is that as it becomes with, with two becoming one, it is more than just us living in the same house, sharing the same bank account. We become one through our intimacy, which we'll talk in a second. And once the two become one and our design and our, and our desires start to go their direction, we now have to execute what the Bible has given us as tools for two things to become one. And that looks like the word submission. And it looks like the word deference. And it looks like the word humility. All those things we don't like to do. But if we're going to work it out together, somebody's got to be exercising humility. And somebody has to be submissive. And somebody has to be different to, to another person's ideal and another person's will. Now, here's the problem with marriage. Is that marriage is a whole lot like the kingdom of God. There is only one throne. There is no two thrones. There is only one throne. But you've also got to understand marriage is that we've taught it to you so wrong. Woman, just do what your man says. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. And don't let a male-dominated society make you feel that you don't have a voice in your marriage. And the church said... Well, you got to remember Adam and Eve, before there was male and female, there was just Adam. And in Adam was all of both, all of humanity. In Adam was the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. Adam had them both. It was when God put Eve to sleep that he pulled out and fashioned something from the female chromosome. Stay with me now. But he never took the X and the Y out of man. To this day, man still has the X and the Y while the female just has the female chromosome so watch this now if she is going to exercise her power she's going to have to step into her manness of the woman and if he is going to let her exercise her power he's going to have to let her move in the authority of her manness that is connected to her woman so what marriage looks like is only one of us can be on the throne at the same time Ephesians however the Bible says woman submit yourself to your husband let him be on the throne put your will under his will but you got to keep reading because the Bible says and men likewise submit to your wives meaning that there's a season where she's got to be the one and you're going to have to say go ahead baby because there's only one throne we can't both be up here so there's got to be submission it's your season baby we've got to be authority it's your season baby it's your season when it's her turn you got to give her her space when it's his turn you've got to give them their space and you cannot fall for this idea that the world has made you believe that there are two people in charge where do you see that modeled anywhere successful Anywhere. Tell me, where do you see that model? Anywhere successful. You don't. There's always, so what God says is if the two are one, but there are two people, but they're one in spirit, then that means they're going to have to be submission. Go ahead, it's your season. 
You're the one now. It's time for us to celebrate you and not talk so much about me. Oh, it's my turn. Come on, it's time for me to be authority. But I'm not real good at that. So come on, you go ahead. You're good at the math. I'm just kind of good at, you know, I can make the bacon, can't fry it all that well at all. You know, I don't manage all that good. Oh, you good at that? Okay, well, I'm good. And this is the way, and it becomes this continuous dance of my turn, your turn, and my turn, your turn. Am I helping anybody out in here? That's what submission is. It's my turn. Now it's your turn. And that's why the Bible uses words like submit and humility, is that there cannot be good relationships of any kind, let alone marriage, if you got to always be the number one person. Or, stay with me, you're going to always be the background person. Because there are moments in your relationship where your relationship will need you to assert your gift that God has given you to the union. You hear what I'm saying? It's, a, it's an issue. It's the issue with ownership. It's the issue with ownership. And, and, and how do we take real ownership? See, if you, if you ain't never been cheated on, you don't know what I'm about to tell you. But let me tell you, let me tell you something about being cheated on. See, when a man gets cheated on, his, his heart ain't hurt. His ego is hurt. But that's not a bad thing because God gave women heart. You want to make your man satisfied, you feed his ego. The woman, you feed her heart. You can't feed her ego. And exp- you, you realize that oftentimes we give people what we want for ourselves. We give them the perfume we like. We take them to the dinner we would eat instead of the dinner they would eat. And that's the way, that, but we do that in real life. We treat, you know, it, you know, we're married. But the Bible tells us something very uniquely succinct about the way that men and women operate in general in this world. Is that men have a tendency to fare better when their, when their wives go out to the court, Proverbs 31, and she makes her man's name great out in the courts. That means that while she's in the bedroom and in the house and in the privacy of their house and her man does something good, she gets up and goes and tells the world, my man is everything. And he will get up at six in the morning to go to work if he knows you out in the streets at six in the evening talking about how amazing he is. She is the exact opposite. She don't care how many times you tell her boy, your boys how great she is and how wonderful she is. If you don't tell it to her while y'all one-on-one in these intimate moments, don't be telling it all out there if you ain't going to tell it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's just the way that the Bible made her. The Bible, this is not, it ain't rocket science. It's just scriptural, scriptural things. And we oftentimes feel that if I tell my man and I rub his head and tell him in private how amazing it is, that that has done the trick. He's satisfied in the moment, but what he really wants to do is go to your Instagram and see you saying, hey, this is my dude right here. What he really wants to do is walk in the job and know that you've been talking about him in a good way. Oh, you're. Yes, I am. Feeling pretty good. About it. Did she say that? I can't even stay long. I got to go make some more money. I got that. I got it. I'm trying. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? And at the same time, she don't care how many pictures you post up of her. If when you're in your private moments, you don't say, baby, you're amazing, and I appreciate you, and I'm down with you, and I got your back, and you're phenomenal, and blah, because she works things out in silent. We work things out in our hands. Are you hearing why this thing works? And if we don't understand that this can be an issue of ownership, when somebody violates that, when somebody pushes up on your woman, or when somebody steps in and pushes up on your man, you don't respond to it like your heart is hurt. You respond to it like somebody's trying to steal something I own. Can I go to the Bible on this? Am I helping anybody out? Y'all all right in the balcony? I want, you to see, I want you to see this. He said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. If you buy my bone and my flesh another drink, Y'all ain't talking back to me in here. I wish you would give my bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh a Christmas present without talking to me about it first. 
I'm preaching, I'm preaching, I'm preaching. I'm trying to tell you that you, you, you don't understand what you're feeling. But this is the kind of ownership that God expects a man or a woman to take when they say, I'm in matrimony. I'm not giving you away to somebody that's going to come and break up what God is trying to do. I'm not giving you away to the devil. I'm not giving you away to lies told in your past. I'm not giving you away to some hussy that's trying to mess with what we got going on right now. And yes, I said hussy. I took it from my mama. So... <laughs> <laughs> but you knew what I was talking about. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because when you, are in, when you are invested in matrimony, when you have made the commitment in matrimony, this belongs to me. It's the truth. It's the truth. So wait, no, 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 there's going to be no walk out the door. Why are you walking out the door to what? What? My daughter, what? I invested too much to be walking out the door, walking out no doors. You're going to walk out this door into the kitchen, but we ain't walking out the. <laughs> Y'all, you hear what I'm saying? You can walk, but you can walk upstairs in one of them bedrooms. I mean, that's why we got the three bedrooms. So you can walk out a room every now and then, you know? So, <laughs> so but, but it's an issue. It's an issue, issue of ownership. And if you take your ownership responsibilities correctly and properly, the way that God did it, you'll take care of everything that you value that you own. You do that in your personal private life. I know guys that's got closet full of shoes, and they take care of their shoes better than they take care of their children. I mean, they shined up, bottoms clean, wear them once a year. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know how we do them, them 92 Jordans? They come out on special occasions, you know, and they keep them clean. They keep, they take care of them and they take care of them better than they take care of their spouse because the things that we own and take ownership of will take care of it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Rachel, Leah were not, they didn't, they didn't marry Jacob because they loved him. Their father gave them away. <laughs> Jacob bought them. And God said that I bought you with a price. Ain't that what your Bible say? He said, I bought you with a price. And guess what? And your life is not your own. That's what the Bible says. See, you can talk like that to people you married to. You can talk like that to people you married to. I'm leaving. Baby, you, are you serious? Are you not? Do, do you read your Bible? I want you to read the Bible. I want you to read your Bible. Remember when uh, in the book of Hosea, when uh, uh, God tells God tells um, tells the children of Israel, he said, I'm married to you. He said, and I know you want to divorce me. He said, but, but I, you belong to me. I own you. And I'm not giving you one. Come on, backslider. He said, I'm mad, backslider. You trying to get away because you're married to me and I own that's why when you want to get away, you can't get away, and you're in the house of the Lord right now, and you really don't even want to be trying to figure out why you are. It's because God said that I own the situation. We're going to get out of here. We're not going to get to four today. All right? Here's number three. The, the intimacy issue. Somebody shout intimacy. Somebody shout intimacy. All right, the intimacy issue. What marriage does is marriage, and we're talking relational things, but marriage affords a person the opportunity to develop more meaningful relationships with themselves. Marriage, marriage will help you understand yourself. It'll help you understand the breadth of your competencies. It will help you understand the depth of your thinking and the depth of your feelings and your emotions. Because very few of us see inside of ourselves without the help of someone outside. And what marriage provides us is a person on the outside of us who can see us ourselves. There are a lot of parts of your life that you can see, but you can't see your eyelid, and you can't see your eyebrow, and you can't see your nose, and you can't see your lips. So if something happened where you had a mark on your nose or a mark on your eye, you'd be going around life with that mark until somebody from the outside Say, hey, man, you got something on your eye. You got something on your face. Our purpose and our competency and our gifts are a lot like that. They're oftentimes placed inside of us 
to such a degree that we need help being able to even identify. We come into a marriage as complete as we can possibly be. But within the marriage, we develop. And, and, and when we are using our spouses the way God intended for us to use our spouse, we have given them access to be able to see the things about us that we cannot see and bring them to the surface so either we can compliment or we can correct. Do you see what I'm saying? We can either compliment or we can correct. Now, this becomes a, a, even more of a unique issue because what I'm saying is that most of us will never really know ourselves until we're in the kind of relationship that forces us into places of ourselves that we otherwise could not explore. So there are places in your life and in your heart and in your mind you can't get to by yourself because God didn't intend for you to get to them by yourself. And you can be complete and you can be whole and you can be all this wonderful stuff and still not know the layers that are connected to you. But let me tell you something about pulled back layers. When you get married, you're going to marry somebody that's going to pull back some layers you didn't even think you had. And if you get angry and you get bitter that the layer is being pulled off, instead of seeing it as an opportunity to explore a level of you that you, never, you didn't even realize you had, then you can be in a cantankerous relationship instead of one that is loving and one that is gracious. What deepens that knowing you can have conversations all night and we can talk and there is a level of soul connection that takes place when we interchange ideas. But the issue is not when we interchange emotional soul ideas. What happens is when there are intimacy spaces. Intimacy is more than just changing and telling what we know about each other. See, when we're talking, I'm going to give you what I know about me. And you'll give me what you know about yourself. And we will exchange the knowable information. But you are deeper than you know. There is more to you than you, have, than you are aware of. You've got layers and you've got levels that, are, that, are, that you have not even tapped into yet. So when we are talking and having dialogue, I am sharing only what I've experienced about myself. Not the stuff that's in there that needs to come out that can only come out by other experiences. Are you following what I'm saying? What happens when the Bible says, now the two shall become one, he is speaking directly with intimacy, not dialogue and talking. He is talking about grown people doing grown people's stuff. Yep, you got it. <laughs> Amen. You're talking about grown folks. I'm just, just watching for the children in the room. That's what I'm doing. We're talking about adults doing adult activity, sexual connection, intimacy. One person put it like this. Intimacy is into me I begin to see. And there is a certain level of self-inspection that can't take place until you have become intimate. So now sex becomes a major aspect of scripture. This is why Paul says to do not withhold yourselves from one another unless there is a consent that we are fasting or praying or that we're going to spend some time apart or whatever. He says don't withhold yourself. And he understood why. Because there is a level of dialogue and communication that takes place in intimacy that is in the spirit. That is very different than what you're going to be able to do in the cognitive. How can I help you understand this? You are a collection of information. Remember, let's rewind it all the way back to my first point. Is that God looks at Adam in the cool of the day and he gives him information about who he is. And he tells them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because that is what happens when Adam and God come together in the conversation is that they are swapping information about each other. God says, I'm going to remove myself from the conversation and create a woman. And now when the two become one, you guys are essentially going to do what me and Adam did by, by spirit conversation. You have to do it by physical touch and spirit swapping. And when intimacy or intercourse takes place, what you are doing is sharing the course of your life with down paths that you have haven't even been, but they get to come out of an experience with you with information about you that you couldn't tell them. This is important that we understand is that when the Bible talks about when a husband and wife laid together, they use the word no, and Adam knew his wife. 
and Eve knew her husband and and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that they knew one another. That word know has everything to do with intimate understanding and knowledge, and that word know is directly connected to what you learn about somebody. So sex is not just a, an, an, a pleasurable act, or it is not just an act of swapping bodily fluids. What it is is an act of swapping information about one another. And this becomes the interesting part about sex is that you have information about yourself. And maybe I should point to my wife when I talk about sex. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> you have information about yourself that you cognitively understand. And then you marry me because there's information inside of you that you can't get to yourself. And I have information that I try to give you about me. And I have information that cannot be germinated until it is impregnated with the presence of your personage with me. What happens when we come together is that we start to exchange spiritual information through the, through the earthly action of sexual activity and intercourse. I start to express to you in the spirit things that I cannot express about myself out of my mouth. I don't have to cognitively understand because I ain't been to those parts of me yet. You got stuff about me. I got stuff about you. And when we pull apart from the act, what we have shared is a dialogue of spiritual information. And she got stuff that I don't know about me. And I got stuff that she doesn't know about herself. And part of our is that now I've got to give you information about you that you didn't know about you. And you've got to give me information about me that I didn't know about me. And that becomes an issue because don't nobody know me better than I know me. So who are you to tell me that I'm hurt? I ain't hurt. Who are you to tell me that I'm broken? I'm not broken. I know me. Well, wait a minute. I was into you to see who you are. I'm missing y'all. I was into you to see who you are. And I don't know how I know. No, I just know. I woke up and I know. How many of you all have ever felt like that? I'm trying to tell the truth, shame the devil. I don't care if it's by marriage or you ain't by marriage. You've been intimate with somebody and you just know stuff. You just know stuff. I know he hurt right now. I know she ain't feeling good. I know something is wrong. I know that joker lying to me. I know, I know. Just, but nobody told you. Nobody wrote it down. Nobody sent you an email. You just know what you know. The reason why you know. And in the process of knowing one another, I pull out information. Remember that, and when God takes from Adam, he pulls out stuff from Adam. Eve is formed with Adam's stuff. She knows stuff about Adam that Adam doesn't have inside of him anymore because God gave it to Eve to have it. And if Adam is going to learn about what life is with the extra rib, he's going to have to learn by being in relationship with Eve. And, uh, and for some of us that are ready to go to the next level of our lives, there are things in our lives that we don't see about ourselves that has been exchanged in the intimacy process. And the reason why your spouse can tell you that you're amazing and you don't see that you're amazing is because they got the stuff that's amazing about you. And their job is to tell you to your face that you are amazing, that you can handle it, that you can do it, that you'll be okay. And you might not understand that about yourself, but like like I said, most creative geniuses don't know they're a genius until somebody that's not a genius comes and tell them there's a genius. Who do men say that I am? Even Jesus said, I got something in me that I don't see about myself. And they had to tell him. They had to tell him. So marriage becomes this dance of information. And if you want to go to the next level in the relationship of yourself, in a relationship with the person next to you, you've got to allow them the opportunity to give you back the information you gave to them last night. To give back the information that you gave to them when y'all got married. To give back the information. And the thing is you have to be responsible with information. I've come to this conclusion is that most people are not like bad people. They're just bad with information. Most people are not bad people. Like they weren't trying to hurt you when they took your information to Instagram. They was just... They just didn't have the discipline to deal with the way information makes you itch. You know, information makes you want to talk. You know how that is. Information makes you want to talk. They, it's not that I, that I don't like you or don't like you. I just didn't know how to manage information. I didn't know how to manage the information you gave. Didn't know where to put it, compartmentalize it. And
It's the same way in marriage. Once I'm getting information, and you've got to should ask God is how do I handle this information? Because my wife is anointed to be a mirror to me. And the things that I don't like, uh, that I think I don't like about her are probably the things I don't like about me because she's not standing there as her. She's standing there as me, bone to my bone. Y'all are not talking back to me. Bone to my bone, flesh in my flesh. The stuff that irritates you about him is really the stuff that irritates you about you because she's anointed to hold a mirror so that into me, I can see. Intimacy. And it's an issue. If I decide that I won't be intimate to you in an emotional or spiritual way, they were naked. Help me preach. And unashamed. They were able to be intimate and able to be, be naked in front of another. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. And then what happens when sin enters is sin gives them shame. And what shame stops is intimacy. Now, let's turn the lights off before we... I'm preaching. I, you know, some things I need y'all just get. All right? Because y'all do understand this is in the internet. It's going out to the world. Some stuff I need y'all just be like, ah, oh, I got it. Amen. You got it? If you got it, shout, I got it. All right. <laughs> uh, now we got to cut the lights off in life and the lights off of our hurts and the lights off of our bodies and the lights off because there's so much shame and there is no intimacy where there's shame. So as a spouse, God, help me to be able to deal with all of the spots that my, life, my wife is not pleased with about herself. Help me to deal with all of the brokenness that my husband has gone through. Help me to be able to not to judge it and say I could have did better. I could have be. Help me to say that I'm anointed to help heal it. I'm anointed to be here. And, I'm not, and you're not going to hear it in the argument. Amen. Amen. And you're not going to hear it in my moments of frustration. And you're not going to hear it because I realize that it will be an issue. Because it will be an issue. But I realize that I've got a responsibility to the information that I have. That I got begot by intimacy. And God, help me to make a, help make a better marriage and union and human being. Because that's really what my assignment is. So what does the bride need from the groom? <laughs> the groom said, I got your power, I got your anointing, I got the vision for the house, I got all of these things. That's what the groom says, which means that it becomes necessary that the church and God come together. And it is necessary that husband and wife come together. If there's gonna be. Now, now all, we're talking about marriage, and I just gave you three parts that you're going to have to work out in your own house. Or oh, if you want to get married or you're going to be married, you got to work it out in your own development toward marriage. you got to work it out in your own I'm never going to be relationships that you'll have. Because this is the way of the master and not the way of the word that we taught you in this world. Okay? We'll, get, we'll do number four next week. Stand to your feet. If that blessed anybody, give God a hand praise. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand praise if that blessed you. Listen, there are some really good news out about marriage, to be honest with you, that, the, the, that they're not going to print, they're not going to tell you. But the reality of it is, is that there's been a decline in divorce over the last 10 years or so. And that is a good thing. No, they're not going to talk about that. They're not going to, you know, because there's more money and people getting divorced than there is and people uh, staying together. But the, the foundation of, of communities and the way that God saw this world operating, he saw it moving through the dynamic of family. That's the way it is. So we all strive on our best days and in our worst moments to have families God's way. But God is so gracious that if something happens and we have fallen or we've broken or we're not in that perfect scenario, he's so good that his grace is around us and abound us and he gives us second chances and he heals us and he forgives us and he does all those things. So there's no reason to be ashamed if you're saying, Pastor, but that ain't my situation. Listen, y'all know my story. It's not mine either. But we give God the praise because God is a God that gives you the grace beyond any blip in your road. And he doesn't withdraw his destiny from you. He doesn't pull and say, oh, man, oh, snap. She had a child before she got married. I, I can't use her no more. Oh, man, she got divorced. I can't use her no more. God doesn't do that. The church would do that, but God doesn't. So I want you to hear what I'm saying very clearly. Is that there's some good stuff out there. And God is saying that I'm, I'm breathing on families again, and I'm breathing on marriage again, and I'm breathing. God is breathing on this aspect. Everywhere you turn around now, they're even talking about the shame 
that is associated with people forgiving somebody. Like there's a shame now. Like if your spouse does something to you, they shame you for staying. You're like, no, but I love, I want to make it work. I want to, they shame you for staying. And then it's like this pressure. You get bullied into doing what the world has said we're doing. But what's happening is the world is showing us that, that there are resilient people out here that still believe and trust God. There's some resilient people. Amen. Is there any in this room? Are there any in this room? Amen. Amen. I want you to grab your neighbor's hand. I want you to grab your neighbor's hand. Grab your neighbor's hand. And I don't know if you're trying to get married, if you want to be married. I just want to talk to you about just in general. We talked about the construct and the concept of marriage. And it's only because of sin that we harden our heart and we reject the wisdom of spouses. We reject what God is trying to do in the life, in our lives, through matrimony. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every man in there. I pray for everyone that is married. I pray for households. That God, today, we understand that there's going to be a journey. There are going to be issues in this thing called marriage. But, Father, I pray by your spirit and by your power that now that we have seen a bigger picture, that we've seen the way that you operate in this world and the purposes that you have for marriage in this world, that, God, we can work through our issues from moment to moment and day by day. And, God, we can see that we're working for a bigger thing, a bigger purpose that gives you glory in this world. But not only gives you glory, but gives a gives an example for our children and not just example for our children but gives platform for our financial future and not just platform for our financial future but God it gives a, a place for personal growth and development and not just a place for personal growth and development God it plants seeds into communities and in our world around us it replenishes and it multiplies your way and God we bless you for this and I thank you for this and God is in the name of Jesus that we ask for forgiveness of shortcomings and sins if we've ever violated or assaulted ourselves in this space of matrimony. Father, we thank you that we have the ability to release and to let go and to forgive 